Our passage this morning comes from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. You'll find it on pages 170, page 178 of your pew Bibles, as well as printed in your worship folder. It's Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea, toward the, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is God's word. Well, Happy New Year. You sound very happy about it. <laughs> oh, you are? Good. Well, let's pray as we come now to the Bible. Let's pray. Our Lord, we thank you for your word. As we come now to consider why it is that we should read uh, the Bible, we pray that you would give us um, motivation, insight into why that thrills us at the beginning of this new year so that our eyes are captivated and um, enthralled by Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, as you just heard, uh, read from Tommy, we're in Joshua chapter 1 this morning. Now, it's particularly important uh, today, if you really want to grasp what I'm saying, that you pay a special attention to the wording of the title uh, for the sermon um, you see, we're making an emphasis this year on reading the Bible. And uh, this is the sort of thing that Christians know they should do. Uh, actually, even if you're not yet a Christian, you probably think it might not be a bad idea to try it. Uh, one of the best ways to begin to research uh, Christianity and figure out the meaning of uh, the Christian claims on life is to get back to the source text to read the Bible, to get into a Bible study group. But 
Christians especially, we always have people here at College Church who are seeking, searching these things out. But Christians especially know they should read the Bible. Um, we were told uh, to read the Bible in, uh, in Sunday school. Uh, we may have grown up with uh, having family devotions at dinner time where dad read the scriptures, um, chronicles or something really exciting. Um, and perhaps uh, read it along with a rather lengthy prayer while you're waiting desperately to get to the actual eating. Um, we know we should read the Bible. Now, this is the first and new series on biblical answers to life's big questions, and we're going to be expositing passages of the Bible to see how they answer uh, the big questions of our day, and this morning, emphasizing teaching uh, the Bible. If you've got questions about the authority of Scripture, whether you can really rely on it, there are those papers at the back that can give you some uh, answers to that. Now, we know we should read the Bible, and so one way to preach this text in front of us today is to say, look, Joshua read the Bible, you should too. Uh, There's nothing wrong with saying that. It's a sort of New Year's resolution approach. But if that's all I say to you today then here's what will happen. I'll just give you one big guilt trip. You'll go away, you'll try it for a little bit, it will get hard, and then you'll give up and you'll feel guilty. Or, what is probably worse, you'll keep reading the Bible and you'll feel really proud about it. Look at me, I'm doing what Pastor Josh asked us to do. Aren't I a good Christian? Now, another way, slightly better, of preaching this text would not be just to say you should read the Bible, so go do it, but to give you tools to how to read the Bible. And that's what a lot of churches would do at this point. And we are giving you a tool to read the Bible, a guide that we've printed that's available today. There are many others uh, that you can use, and that is one. But I could spend the rest of the sermon saying, Joshua read the Bible, You should too, and here's how to do it. You know, set your alarm early, uh, pick a comfortable chair, not too comfortable in case you fall asleep, Uh, find a quiet place, Uh, here are some interpretive tools for understanding what you're reading, some little bits of hermeneutics. But that's not actually, if we are really honest, why we find it hard to read the Bible. Most of us can figure out that we could read the Bible on our phone, on the train, or have some app read it to us when we're driving in our car. We can organize our schedule to read the Bible. For most of us, what stops us reading the Bible is not lack of know-how, it's lack of know-why. And so that's the title this weekend, Why We Should Read the Bible. Now, one other quick word on the title. It says, read the whole Bible in one year. And I know not all of us can do that or most likely will do that. It's quite a hard thing to achieve, to read the whole Bible in one year. Some people are just not good readers and might not be able to make it. But for most of us, it's an attainable goal or at least getting more regular 
in our daily Bible reading. So don't fixate on the whole Bible in one year thing, though that is the tool, the how we're providing for us. Fix your mind on the why. So that's what this passage here is actually saying. God does not say to Joshua, read the book of the law of God, read the Bible, and here's how to do it in six easy steps, all beginning with the same letter. Uh, See, I'm going to make it really easy for you, Joshua. No, uh, God goes somewhere deeper than that. He goes to the motivation. And here's where it's tricky, because the motivation that he goes to is something that Bible-teaching churches like College Church do not often go to. For then, God says in verse 8, you will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. When we read this passage out last night, there was a sort of palpable silence when that was read out. It's like, really? I mean, is that actually in the Bible? What sort of success is God talking about? I mean, how does that apply today? And in case Joshua would miss it, God actually says basically the same thing three times. Verse 7, that you may have good success wherever you go. And then verse 8, twice again, as we just mentioned. What sort of motivation is this? Read the Bible and your business will get better in 2016. Read the Bible and your ministry will double in size in 2016. Read the Bible, you'll be rich, famous, and appear on a reality TV show in 2016. Um, Here's the message this weekend, what I'm going in the next few moments to be trying to establish for you. There is a gospel connection between reading the Bible, courage, and true success. See, there is actually a Hebrew word for success. A couple of different words for related ideas are used here in this passage, but what kind of success and how does that happen? How should that motivate me to read the Bible and be courageous? That courage, which is also emphasized here and emphasized again and again through Joshua's life. Well, there is a gospel connection between reading the Bible, courage, and true success. In other words, the why is the gospel. And if we have any other motivation for reading the Bible other than because of grace, well, in one sense, it might be better if we didn't because or have knowledge without encounter, information without transformation, and we'll read it just to be a little Pharisee checking off our boxes each day. On the other hand, if we don't read it at all, then we're going to be able to, not going to be able to hear from God because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So there is this gospel connection. And I'm going to make three connections for you. First, the Joshua connection. Now, this is not a study of Joshua like a character study, but there is a Joshua connection here in the story of the conquest of Israel by God through Joshua that we need to tease out to get this gospel connection. This is an exposition of Joshua chapter 1 in the context of the Bible with a particular takeaway for why we should read the Bible. You, you, you can't just dive in here rip it out of context any more than if we just ripped, I don't know, a carol out of context. You know, hark the herald angels sing and said it was all about listening to angelic voices rather than singing glory to the newborn king. So first the Joshua connection, but then second the Jesus connection. Like all the Old Testament, which of course 
really was the Bible of the New Testament church. Like all the Old Testament, this text is really about Jesus. And I want to show you that connection. Otherwise, I'm not really a Christian preacher. A lot of preachers don't ever get there. They're good sermons in a sort of moral sense, but you could preach them in a synagogue. But we need to get to Christ because he will give us the real power, the real motivation for then the third point, which will be how this connects to your life today. So first, the Joshua connection. Now, I don't have time to do all of this, but I just want to show you a few things that I think are really pretty amazing about the story here as we exposit this passage. Remember who Joshua was. We're told he was Moses' assistant. Moses was the servant of the Lord, but Joshua is just called Moses' assistant. Joshua doesn't get called the servant of the Lord, same term used for Abraham and Moses and also in Isaiah for the servant of the Lord songs. He doesn't get called that until the end of the book of Joshua. Right now, he's just an assistant to Moses. And of course, the whole idea was that the great Moses would have entered the promised land along with God's people. Moses had brought them out of Egypt. He had led them through the desert, but God had said that Moses would not enter the promised land with his people. Moses had got frustrated and struck the rock twice. Previously, when he'd struck the rock, he was, as it were, judging God. For as the New Testament tells us, the rock was Christ. And Christ was taking the judgment for the sins of his people on himself. But this time, Moses was only told to speak to the rock. And we're told that Moses, though, did not believe. In other words, and this is one of those complicated parts that I can only quickly allude to as we grasp why we're looking at Joshua going into the promised land, not Moses. Moses fell into a legalistic interpretation of the law. It was belief that would get him into the promised land. And now God says that Joshua, Moses' assistant, that's all. He's going to lead God's people into the promised land. And what God tells Moses to do as he trains Joshua for this, is, it's fascinating. Deuteronomy chapter 3, he says, encourage Joshua. Now, think about that. This is Joshua, who along with Caleb, had been one of the two spies who had not been frightened by the so-called giants in the land, but had believed that God could do it. They had trusted God. This is the Joshua who had already fought a famous battle with Moses you know, praying for him. Joshua was doing the fighting. This was no wimp. Joshua was an experienced military leader, a man who had shown himself able to trust in God, even when others were running scared. Yet the thing that Joshua has to hear is the Joshua connection. Over and over again is don't be frightened. This is what Moses uh, tells him when God tells Moses to encourage Joshua. Deuteronomy chapter 31. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. And then at the beginning of the book of Joshua, you get the same thing. This time directly from God. Be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Don't be afraid. But not just at the beginning. It's throughout the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 8 verse 1. Do not fear. Do not be dismayed. Chapter 10 verse 8. 
Do not fear. Chapter 10, verse 25. Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. You know, this is not the kind of thing you want your military leader to need to hear. Chapter 11, verse 6, do not be afraid of them. And then when Joshua's finally got the lesson, it's become a part of his bloodstream. At the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 23, Joshua says the same to God's people. Be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, which is exactly what God had told him at the beginning of the book. So what's the Joshua connection? What's he frightened of? It could be just all the people he has to fight. That would be frightening. But we're not told that he had to be reminded not to be afraid when he was a spy in the promised land, nor nor when he was finding a battle with Moses praying for him. No, he was just Moses' assistant, as Joshua chapter 1 begins. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you go. Perhaps he was frightened that he might fail like Moses had failed. He's told to do all that Moses has commanded him, but he wasn't told to do what Moses had done, certainly not when he had disbelieved God. He's told to not be afraid when things seem to be going wrong, that God is still with him. He knows that this is a spiritual battle. He's only an assistant to Moses. He is weak. It all depends upon relying on God. He has no strength in himself. Will he disbelieve God? Will he be able to lead God's people? Will he stay faithful? Our Joshua's real battle was with himself. And so he is told to meditate day and night on the scriptures. The word for meditate has a sense of mutter. Remember that then people didn't read to themselves in their own head. That was a a technique that's only relatively recently been discovered. They read aloud. People muttered, saying it under their breath. And so meditation on Scripture is not emptying your mind and letting any thoughts come in. It's saying the Bible truth over to yourself, speaking it to yourself, muttering it to yourself. God is faithful. God took us out of Egypt. We were rescued. Grace first, then we went to the mountain of Horeb, then the law came. We, we are to be faithful. God will fight our battles. Remember Joshua? We only need to stand and see God's deliverance. You see, Joshua is not really the great military commander. God is. Moses is not really the great teacher. God is. What Joshua needed was to soak himself in the Bible so that he constantly reminded himself who God was. And so we could just say that the why, the motivation, is to, like Joshua, get over our fear of people or danger or disease or the situation in our world today by reading the Bible to soak in the truth of who God is. And that is certainly true. If you want to leave this mountain and not be frightened and step out in faith to enter the promised land with God by following him radically this year, then reading the Bible is the key. It will show you who God is, how faithful he is, and that will give you courage. But it's more than that. Because this is really about Jesus. Well, here then is the the Jesus connection. 
Now, you might say, I'm just going to be spiritualizing this to say it's really about Jesus. But if any place in the Old Testament is easy to see that the Old Testament is really about Jesus, it's the book of Joshua. Joshua, the great military commander of God's people, actually met the real leader of God's people. You'll find it in chapter 5, beginning verse 13. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes up and looked, and behold, you know, right there in front of him, there's a man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No. I love how uh, Tim Keller puts this. Wrong question. Are you for us or for them? No. The right question is not whose side are you on, but am I on your side? See, that was actually the whole question that Joshua wrestled with all the time. Is God still with us? Moses disbelieved when he was put under extreme pressure. Will I? No. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. That's wonderful drama. Now I have come. See, Joshua met the pre-incarnate Jesus. You see, when Moses met the angel of the Lord, when he was called by God, the angel of the Lord spoke out of the fire, and the Bible tells us that God said. The angel of the Lord is Yahweh, it's Jesus. Joshua, whose name, of course, is the same as the name Jesus, a connection by name that the book of Hebrews makes, by the way, this Joshua met the real Joshua. This helps the whole question about all the people the Israelites kill when they conquer the promised land, which, by the way, was never complete in the book of Joshua, as it says several times. And as Joshua ends up by telling them at the end of the book to complete the conquest and finish the job, and I'm only mentioning that because some liberal scholars that you might be aware of think there's some great big conflict between Joshua and the book of Judges, because in the book of Judges they still have to do more, more conquering. First time I came across that idea, I wonder whether those scholars had even read the book of Joshua. But this connection to Jesus really helps with the conquest question. Is it genocide? No. To start with, of course, you could say at any level, these people deserved it, if anyone does. We're told that God was waiting for his judgment on them until the last moment when it was inevitable. You see, at some level, you have to decide whether you want a judge or not. Judge means hope. Without a judge, all the evil, the rape, the killing, the murder will never get sorted out. But there is a judge, and it means hope. But, there, but the Jesus connection does more than tell us that actually there's still a judgment to come, so we better be holy and read the Bible, which is true, but if there is a judge, then we're all in trouble, right? No, it does, it does more than that. It tells us there is a Savior too, because we all fail, and that Savior is not Joshua, it's not the people, it's not us, it's Jesus. See, that's what the whole Jericho story is all about. 
you know, they march around, you know, X number of times, and, and then they shout, you know, what good's that going to do? You know, hello? You know, what kind of warfare tactic is that? None whatsoever. It's almost designed to make you look ridiculous. Um, you know, as many a father with children uh, has done, I've watched my fair share of Veggie Tales. And sometimes I think VeggieTales has it absolutely right. And it has it absolutely right about this story. It's just ridiculous. It's absurd walking around the wall and shouting at the end. It's not the kind of thing you do in war, as as Gideon did later, to take all these people away from the army when you're about to go into battle. Why? Because it's the Lord's battle. And what needs to be done is it needs to be established that the Savior is not Moses. It's not Joshua. It's not you. It's not me. It's him. It's by faith in him. The commander of the Lord's army. The real Joshua. You see, until you get this, you won't really be motivated to read the Bible. Who truly lived by the Bible and meditated on it day and night and fought the fight in the desert and entered the promised land? Well, Matthew tells us he was in the desert 40 days and 40 nights for all their 40 years. A day for each year Israel was in the desert and the temptations, the battles come to him as he opens up leads into the promised land, the tempter comes to him. And each time he answers from God's word, actually quoting from Deuteronomy about the desert time, which he's the perfect fulfillment of all of that, doing what Israel did not do. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's God's word. That's where the power comes from. That's what gives us true success. And what will help us to actually read it? Jesus kept that word perfectly. He was the perfect Israel in the desert. He was the perfect Moses leading God's people in the desert. He was the perfect Joshua taking God's people into the promised land. Now then you say, well, okay, preacher, that's all very well. You know, thanks for that good kind of class in biblical theology. I appreciate it. But how does that actually help me practically with reading the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked me that. So now we come finally to the connection to our lives today. So you see, why is it that people don't read the Bible? Often you'll hear preachers say that the reason people don't read the Bible is that they are busy. Now I believe that to some extent, but I would find it easier to believe if when I talk to those people who are very busy, they often couldn't also tell me exactly what the score was from last night's game. Once years ago, I remember uh, complaining to a friend about not having enough time I thought I was very busy, and he looked at me and said, Josh, you have all the time there is. There's there's no more time than there is. All, all is. All that we can do is choose what we do with the time. The problem is not time. The problem is what we choose to do with the time. Other people say the reason why people don't read the Bible is because we're a less literate culture than we used to be. We're a more visual culture. 
Again, I kind of know what that means, and some of that may be true, but I find it easier to believe that was the whole reason why people don't read the Bible if I didn't see people constantly texting each other on their phones. I mean, I do the same, or thousands of comments underneath popular blogs on the internet. In some ways, I think we're actually a more textual culture than we used to be when MTV was all the rage back last century. Oh, no, rap and hip-hop is the thing. It's a very textual kind of medium. The text is the thing. Other people say the reason why people don't read the Bible is they don't know how to interpret it. And there may be some truth to that, and we can provide tools that we, like we are today to help with that. But I find it easier to believe that was the real problem if I didn't see people very clearly understanding what the Bible was saying, but choosing to do something different anyway. I think Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that I have a problem with, it's the parts I do understand. No, I think people don't read the Bible, not in any regular, disciplined fashion, because they don't think it will really make any difference. It's not going to help solve my problems, it's not going to help my marriage or my finances. It's a bit like Moses who hears God's word but then decides he can do it better his own way and doesn't really believe. It's like Joshua before he met the real Joshua, not finding it easy to believe that God himself would win the battle through his word. There's a gospel connection to all of this. You see, the sword of the Spirit, as Paul puts it, is the word of God. It's not just a list of rules and moralistic techniques for living happily even though you have to play by the rules at the same time. Oh, it's life. It's food. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Essentially, at best, we treat it like information. It's a sort of Sunday school approach to the Bible. We learn about the stories, we learn about the characters, and if we're really, really good, we learn the Greek or the Hebrew. It's information input. But according to Jesus, it's food It's the real food. It nourishes our soul. He nourishes our soul. See, this all comes back to the success thing. What does it mean that if we read this, here's the why, we will be prosperous and successful? (laughs) Okay, so it doesn't mean that people who read the Bible are more likely to win the lottery. I get that, but... What does it mean? Well, it means we'll have real success. For the Israelites, it meant entering the promised land. But even that, Moses tells them in the song of Moses, they'll never manage to do because they'll never keep the law. Joshua tells them the same. You can't do it, he says at the end of the book. You can't keep the law. They want to try anyway. And in a certain sense, the book of Joshua ends with victory. But there are all these areas still unconquered. And they're told they can't keep the law. And then they don't. They can't do it. Moses can't do it. Joshua can't do it. We cannot do it. You see, if you read the Bible like information on how to be good, you'll give up pretty soon or you'll get a really big head. You'll think you've done it, though you won't have done as your friends would tell you if you let them be honest with you. 
Or you'll know you haven't done it and you won't want to pick up this thing and read it just to feel bad all over again. But if it's gospel food, then it will give you real transformation to true success. It's feeding on Jesus, the true bread that came down from heaven, the real commander of the Lord's army. You see, Mark Twain also said that the best cure for Christianity is reading the Bible. Well, if he had said, very cynical, isn't it? But if he had said, the best cure for religion, sort of moralism with religious clothes, if he'd said that, then, then I'd sort of agree. You read the Bible, and you're taken to grace, and that's the motivation to keep on reading. You get to feed on him and have strength in him. Jesus is the land and the motivation for entering the land. He is the be-all and end-all, the alpha and omega, the reason and the motivation and the goal and the start. And then you'll have power to live faithfully with your husband. Why? Because Jesus has been faithful to you. And you'll read about God's faithfulness through the whole Bible. And you'll do anything for him. You'll have strength. You'll renew your strength like the eagle this, this new year. You'll have the power to forgive others. Why? Because Jesus forgave you. You'll read about God's covenant faithfulness to his rebellious people over and over again throughout the whole Bible. And you've been forgiven. And then you'll extend forgiveness. You'll defeat the enemy of lust because the love of Christ will make you give in love, not take in lust. You'll defeat the enemy of depression because Jesus will forgive you when you make mistakes and commit sins when you repent and the other gods that you've been serving will not. But now Jesus will when you serve him and joy will come into your life. You have the power to be a mum or a dad to be a businessman or a professor or a minister or a missionary because you know that when you fail, as Moses did, as Israel did, there is a real, true, and complete Joshua who is the captain of the Lord's army that you can rely upon even in your fear and failure to rescue you and bring you safe into the promised land, which finally is the new heaven and the new earth to come. So that when you tread the verge of Jordan, your anxious fears will subside. And death of death and hell's destruction cannot defeat you. Because he died your death and took hell for you and rose again to lead you safely to land on Canaan's side. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, as we begin this new year, we pray that we would know why to read the Bible, that we might encounter you and feed on you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.